This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The Bible is good to show us what is right for our lives. That's doctrine. The Bible is good for reproof what's not right in our lives. The Bible is good for correction. That shows us how to get right in our lives. The Bible is good for instruction and righteousness. That shows us how to stay right. That's what the Bible is good for. It's to show us what's right. It shows us what's not right in us. It's to show us how to get right. And it's to show us how to stay right. But the word reproof in that scheme is the same as the idea of rebuke. It points out what's not right in our lives. If a person has no interest to Shema, if a person has no interest in hearing what is not right in their lives so that they can progress to getting right and to staying right, if they don't have the full sequence of the Shema, then the Bible has no value for that person. Because the Bible is like God. It's like God in Hosea 5.2, a rebuker of them all. Now, the natural tendency that man has, that we have within our hearts, when something is pointed out, when the natural tendency that we have in dealing with sin is to just do what Adam did in dealing with sin. As it says in Genesis 3.8, Genesis 3.8, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam was afraid when he sinned, and he tried to hide himself from God. And that was useless of Adam to try to do that from God because no one can hide from God. As it says in Hebrews 4.13, Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked 
and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. As it says in 1 Samuel 16.7, 1 Samuel 16.7, the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And Adam didn't really know the Lord in certain areas. Adam knew the Lord as his creator, but when God was calling out to Adam in Genesis 3.9, in Genesis 3.9, when it says the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? God wasn't calling out to Adam because he, he was like Mr. Magoo with thick glasses on. He said, now where did I put that Adam last? Where was he last? He must be somewhere. On it. He didn't misplace Adam. God was calling out to Adam, where art thou, to send a message to Adam that Adam didn't know about the Lord, and that was that God cared about Adam, that God came to look for Adam to save Adam from his sin because God cared. He wasn't coming after Adam to destroy Adam, and that was the God that Adam didn't know. So Adam was running away from God. And that's the message that the Lord Jesus came to earth to bring, that he cared for man. He cared for man that had sinned, that he wants to save man who had sinned, that he came not to destroy man who had sinned because he said in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In Luke 9.56, Luke 9.56, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In John 10.10, John 10.10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 12.47, John 12.47, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And finally, 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The only reason that the Lord Jesus will not save the sinner and will not give life to the sinner and judge that sinner is because of Hosea 5.4. They will not frame their doings to turn unto the Lord, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them. The sinner himself stands in the way of his own rescue because he refuses to frame his doings to turn to God. What does that mean? What does that mean to frame his doings? It means to put a frame around the picture, to put a frame around it and to say, the frame says, this is sin. This is not a mistake. This is sin. This is sin against God. This is me in this picture here. I have framed this picture. This is me 100% responsible for my sin. I'm worthy of judgment. I'm worthy of death because I'm a sinner. And if a person puts that frame around their lives, then God says, all right, now I can help you. Now I can help you. But if a person puts another frame around his life, a frame that says, this is a picture of a good person. This is a picture of a person, of a righteous person. I deserve to be admitted into heaven. Then that person has not framed his doings to turn to God. And the Lord Jesus says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I can't help you because Matthew 9, 12, Matthew 9, 12, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole, they need not a physician, but they that are sick. 
Picture a person who comes to the doctor, comes to the doctor, sits down in the doctor's office, sits down. The doctor says to him, what's the, the doctor always says the same thing. What seems to be the problem? What seems to be the problem? And the person replies, problem? There's no problem. I'm not sick. I'm healthy. And the doctor says, well, if, you're, if there's nothing wrong with you and you're healthy, what are you doing here? Why would you come to me? That's exactly what people do today. Exactly what people do today. That's what the Pharisee did in Luke 18.11. Luke 18.11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And just like that person says to the doctor, I don't have heart disease. I don't have cancer. I don't have diabetes. I don't have any medical problems. I'm healthy. So the first step, God says, frame your doings. Frame your lives as being sinful and fall on the mercy of God to help. Why wouldn't a person frame his doings and turn to the Lord? God answers that in verse 4, no, Hosea 5.4, Hosea 5.4. The reason is because the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of thee. That means that a person is overcome. That means that a person is overrun. That means that a person is overpowered by sex, the spirit of whoredoms. It's described in 2 Peter 2.14, 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. It says in Romans 1.28, Romans 1.28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What's a reprobate mind? A reprobate mind is described in 2 Peter 2.14, eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. And the reason why they haven't fallen on the mercy of God to help them to get out of the sexual trap is because, because of the last part of verse 4, Hosea 5.4, Hosea 5.4, they have not known the Lord. They have not known the Lord. They haven't known the Lord. How can you say that about the Jews? How can you say that the Jews haven't known the Lord? It says in Romans 3.1, Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God, the Bible. How could they not have known the Lord? They were responsible for writing the Bible. They were responsible for transcribing the Bible. How could they not have known the Lord? Because they haven't come to know the Lord personally, individually, in particular ways they haven't known the Lord. The question that springs out of verse 4, when it says in verse 4, they have not known the Lord, the question that springs out is, how did they not know the Lord? And the answer to that question is, they didn't know the Lord, who said in Proverbs 1.23, Proverbs 1.23, turn you at my reproof, Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. They haven't known the Lord as the rebuker of them all. They haven't known the Lord as the one who speaks to their soul and teaches them the meaning of the Bible by pouring out his spirit to them individually. 
not through a set of, of commentary like the Talmud, for example, but who is able to speak to the individual hearts with the behold, I pour out my spirit unto you. Behold, I will make known my words unto you. There is a condition that does not have to be for any person because the wonder of wonders is that each person can come to know the Lord themselves, just like Samuel did. Samuel, the prophet Samuel, in 1 Samuel 3.6, 1 Samuel 3.6, when it says, the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, and lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Wonderful word in that. The word yet. There was a time in Samuel's life when he did not know the Lord. There was a time in Samuel's life when God's spirit was not poured out to him. When God did not make his words known to him. Or as it says in 1 Samuel 3.7, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And a person may read the Bible. A person may go and, and memorize the Bible. A person can hear a sermon or the Bible and begin and say, that's interesting. That little part in there, that's interesting. And I didn't know that before. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. That's like little Samuel. That's like God saying, Samuel, Samuel. And rise up and he says, and he walks out of a church and he doesn't know the Lord speaking to him, and he says, that was a good message. That was a really good message. Bravo to the speaker. Great message. But then there comes that time, and that's like, that's like Eli saying, no, Samuel, go back. It's not me calling you. It's not me calling you, Samuel. It's the Lord. And so the Lord, and this happens, and it comes the day when the person says the words that Samuel says, and it changes it all. And those words start the transformation of the Bible, the sermons, and all becoming just from interesting to direct communications from God. And the words are 1 Samuel 3.10. 1 Samuel 3.10. The Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And those are the words, speak, for thy servant heareth. Words of surrender, words of submission, words of devotion. Words of Shema, words of hearing to obey, that start the process for a person to know the Lord as the guide of their soul. Speak, for thy servant heareth, as the hymn puts it. Open my eyes that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, spirit divine. They have not known the Lord as their master to guide them as obedient Shema servants of God. They have not known the Lord as King David did when he wrote in Psalm 32.5, Psalm 32.5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. 
They haven't known the Lord as the one to whom they confess their sin to, not some priest in a little box, but confess to the Lord. They haven't known the Lord as the forgiver of their sins. They haven't known the Lord as Psalm 86.15, Psalm 86.15, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. They haven't known the Lord that way. They haven't known the Lord as merciful and gracious. They haven't known the Lord as merciful to not give them what they deserve, which is hell, which is hell. The mercy of God does not give us what we deserve, which is hell. They haven't known the Lord to show grace, grace and mercy, the mercy to not get what we deserve, which is hell. The grace is to get what we don't deserve, which is heaven. They haven't known the Lord this way, and they haven't known the Lord like Abraham knew the Lord. Abraham knew the Lord in James 2.23, James 2.23, the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. They haven't known the Lord as the friend of God. They might say he is, they might know him as the man upstairs. They might know him as the Almighty, the El Shaddai. They might know him as the Creator. They might know him as the respected one who they only refer to as the name, Hashem. But they have not, they cannot honestly say, I know God is my friend. I know God is my friend. But that's how they did not know the Lord. The Lord was not known to them as their friend. And as verse 4 states, the spirit of whoredoms in the midst of them, they're consumed, they're trapped in the spirit of whoredom, sexual thoughts, they're trapped in sexual thoughts. They can't. A man cannot look at a woman without giving her the once-over. The Bible calls that, as we said in 2 Peter 2.14, eyes full of adultery. They haven't known the Lord as the one who delivers them from sexual thoughts. They haven't known the Lord as the Savior from sexual sins. They haven't known the Lord as the one who Paul talked about in Romans 7.24, Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. They haven't known the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's delivered them from the power of sin over their lives. They haven't known the Lord is the one who's delivered them from the body of death. Like everyone, like everyone, we all have guilt. Every person has guilt. What we did, what we said, what we thought, guilt, guilt, guilt. Everyone has a fear of what's going to happen to them after they die. Maybe there's judgment. I hope not. The most I can hope for is that the crematorium has got the flame as hot as it can be. There's nothing left. They haven't known the Lord as John the Baptist described him. As John the Baptist described him in John 1.29, John 1.29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. They haven't known him as the Lamb of God. They haven't known the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God, as their Lamb of God, as their personal Lamb of God. They haven't known the Lord Jesus as the every man Passover Lamb of God from Exodus 12.3, Exodus 12.3. 
speaking unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. They haven't known the Lord as the Exodus 12, 3, every man a lamb. And because they haven't known the Lord as their personal lamb of God, they haven't known their sin taken away. They haven't known the Lord as Isaiah knew the Lord in Isaiah 38, 17. Isaiah 38, 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. They haven't known the Lord as the lover of their souls, the deliverer of them from hell, the pit of corruption, by casting all their sins behind his back. Like everyone, they sinned. Like everyone, sin had left its crimson stain. Sin had dirtied their souls. Sin had made them dirty and rotten. And they haven't known the Lord as Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5. Jesus Christ loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In 1 John 1.7, 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. They hadn't known the Lord as the cleanser of their sin. They hadn't known the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as cleansing their souls. And they hadn't known the truth. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Very interesting that King David, the great King David, greatest king on earth, the great King David is going to pass on now to his son, who's going to now be the great King Solomon. He's going to pass on now to his son. He's getting toward the end of his 70 years of life, King David. And he's going to pass on to King Solomon the most important advice he can pass on. Solomon is called to this meeting with his father. And he says, he must have thought, what will my father say to me? Will my father's most important advice be on the ministry of how I'm to build the temple of God that he's amassed everything for? Solomon must have thought, will my father's most important advice be on how to rule this great kingdom on earth, Israel? Solomon must have thought, will my father's most important advice be on how to choose the right people that I can trust to get this great work done? And so now it comes time for Solomon to receive from his father this most important advice in life. And Solomon doesn't hear any of those. He doesn't hear any of those things from his father. The most important advice that King David passes on to Solomon, King Solomon, is 1 Chronicles 28.9. 1 Chronicles 28.9, when he says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, understandeth all the imaginations of thought. If thou seek him, he'll be found of thee. If thou forsake him, he'll cast thee off forever. David's most important advice that he gave to Solomon in that 1 Chronicles 28.9, 1 Chronicles 28.9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, 
That's the most important advice that we can receive in life. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.